This boy and girl are going to be well equipped when the time comes to take their places as worthy members of adult society. Hello, hi y'all. This is Daniel Eisenman, the host of the Breaking Normal podcast, where my guests are all invited based on the frequency of synchronicity, all done in person, and all trailblazers and the breaking of all things normal. All right. Welcome back to the Breaking Normal podcast. I have a, a guest here that's been kind of a long time coming because I think we met a couple of years ago during the uh, peak of the pandemic or whatever. I don't know yeah. what you call it. <laughs> I'm not sure what to call the it. Program. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. Um, that is Dylan Suggs you are hearing. We met on a walk. I think we, is that right? How, yeah, do, how do you remember right. us I meeting? Remember can, you, can you start with that? So during the pandemic, there was all these, you know, lockdowns and people were afraid to do anything. And then uh, there was this networking group. I had been hit up by, an, I can't remember her name. Roxanne, probably. Roxanne, there you go. I was going to say Rosalind. But Roxanne hit me up and invited me on this walk out in uh, that park. I forgot what that lake. Uh, Wonderland Lake. Yeah, Wonderland Lake here in Boulder, Colorado. And I said, all right, yeah. She's like, well, I feel like, you know, based on what I've seen on your Facebook and what you post about, you probably would vibe with some of the people that come out there. And then, yeah, we went on this walk, and then that's where I met Daniel. He's telling me about his bison liver supplements and then his podcast, and then I had Matrix Breakers, and then he has Breaking Normal, which is almost the same thing. <laughs> I know. Because I think of normal as like the Matrix, and then normal for you is just like not being normal, you know, <laughs> like trying to be abnormal or, or more standout-ish, if you will. When did you start the Matrix Breakers? I started in 2019. Okay, and then we were trying to guesstimate how many episodes you've done, and it's been about 100 or so. 100 or so. Because you have 10 different seasons? Yeah. All right, here's a tough question for you, because I'm not sure how I'd answer it if it was Flip. Yeah. What is the most... I'm not, instead of asking your favorite episode you've done, in case people want to go check it out after this, mm-hmm. what is the most memorable episode you've done? I feel like probably... Let's think on that one. That's a good one. Um, I remember... I, one of the most memorable one is the when I did extensive research on COVID-19 before it ever even hit the United States. And I kind of explained what I believed that it would become, that it could become one of the biggest impacts in our like lifetimes, that it could change the way we do everything. And I did do a lot of research on that. And I said, well, I think this is how they would roll it out. And believe it or not, they might even lock everything down the way you see China. China was kind of the example. And I had all these sort of predictions that I made during that time. Mind you, this was 2019. So this is my third or fourth or, well, technically I did 10 episodes and then I started doing multiple episodes. This is like, you know, within this 20 episodes of my first 20, I made these predictions. So I think that's one of those memorable ones because a lot of people would listen to that and be like, dude, how did you know all this would happen? Um, but I also have done really fun episodes with various different people as well and just like learning from them and laughing and having a blast, you know? Yeah, I immediately think of an episode I did with my dad, like in March or maybe in like April of 2020, when things were really peaking on the news. Yeah, like the confusion, and it was interesting because uh, he's been a pharmacist for over 45 years, and he we were he was all about this idea of um, consuming quinine. Yeah, uh, which I think is what, what's the anti-malaria drug that was? Uh, do you remember the name? There's hydroxychloroquine. Yeah, there's yeah. ivermectin. Hydroxychloroquine. But hydroxychloroquine had the quinine inside yeah. the name. Yeah. So we we started on the podcast and we started promoting the idea of people going to get tonic water. That's right. Because you can did like, the same thing. Wow, and you didn't hear about that from us. 
did like, hear that for a while. Wow, that is so. No, I thought of quinine. I started buying. The, so you know, the Canada Dry, I think, has the quinine, but other sparkling waters don't. So you had to like find which one. It's, yeah, specific and, tonic. Yeah, specific tonics. And then I went to gin and tonic. I actually did the research about gin and tonic, and the reason why gin and tonic was a thing was because so sailors would always drink gin. That's the thing. It's especially it's an English thing. Gin is an English liquor, and so which when, is sort of like a juniper juniper infused right uh, spirit or yes, distilled. Spirit, that's or right. Mm-hmm. And um, on these voyages, long voyages, there was always malaria illness, especially you know vitamin C deficiencies. That's where they figured out about vitamin C deficiencies was on these naval ships. Also, so they had scurvy. To, yeah, keep these people alive as long as possible. So they were prescribed tonic as their kind of medication during the voyages. And of course, the sailors drinking as much as they did, they just decided to make gin and tonic as a as a fusion. So that was yeah, another little thing. Yeah, yeah. So the, I I think that I would like to almost go back and listen to that episode because it was such a confusing time. And I don't know if it's gotten more clarity. I think there has been a lot more clarity that there was a lot of misinformation and disinformation. And- no, people will look back and say, oh, oh, I was ahead of the, oh, I was, you know, saying yeah. this, or I was never quarantined. You know, all the people will kind of look back and try to like say what they really did and what versus what, you know, they actually did. And then what, what captivated you so much about researching that? Because like for me, my dad being a pharmacist, my mom being a nurse, uh, I had gotten really sick, the sickest I've ever gotten in that December of 19. And I actually think that that virus or whatever was the situation with everyone's lungs. It really peaked here, I believe, in like October and December of 2019. Yeah. Because uh, I was going to this gym and all of a sudden all these people were coughing all over the place. And then, and then I got something. My daughter got something. And I got something. I was like, oh, my gosh, I got the flu for the first time. This is terrible. Yeah. But then when I was talking to my dad through that episode, I was like, wait a minute. I didn't have the flu. I had this. And the, like the news is a little delayed yeah. on what's happening in certain cities. Like people in Boulder, a lot of people were going from New York City to Boulder during. It's that an time. international city here, yeah. So um, that re- I got real fascinated then, and I mean, especially when the marketing of the <laughs> the, the the poker. Yeah, I was yeah. just like, wait, this is this marketing is so suspicious. So I just that's what kind of captivated me. What about for you? So before this, I was into political things and like. Mind you, I'm from San Antonio, Texas, and you know I had been like, I've listened to conspiracies and all kinds of interesting, you know, facts about the world, and I've been interested in that kind of topic for a long time. So I've been reading lots of books, and my, my dad was playing like Kevin Trudeau when I was like a kid, you know, on road trips. I don't know if you know who Kevin Trudeau is. He went to prison. My wish is my command. That kind of books and stuff. He's, oh, so it's not, very the guy early can, it's not the prime minister of Canada or whatever? No, <laughs> What's that no, guy's name? no. Uh, Justin Trudeau. <laughs> oh, just, oh, yeah, that's yeah, right. Because yeah, 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 yeah. so he's a major part of this whole conversation, too, yeah. funny enough. So my dad was playing Tony Robbins stuff in, uh, okay. you know, right, back cool. in the day when I was like growing up. And then um, Kevin Trudeau is like one of those guys who he was early, early on kind of blowing the whistle on pharmaceutical drugs and medical models and the broken medical system and then like all the wealth and money and stuff. He was put in prison. Um, I forgot exactly why he was just released from prison in 2021 he's like an og um censorship if you will kind of guy <laughs> so i don't know i've been uh kind of was raised in it in a way my dad is a chiropractor um, so nice. everything he's experienced Man, chiropractors kind of- are on it they're on it like uh, and, and more so than most medical professionals what i mean by that is like seeing through a lot of propaganda of the pharmaceutical industry chiropractic was came out of kinesiology, which was also uh, Power Versus Force, that book mm-hmm. by, um, God, what is his name? I forgot. 
Edward something? It's not Robert Green. It's Robert Edwards, I believe. Uh, something like that. Yeah, I've, I read that. You said Power vs. Force. Yeah, I listened Force. to that one. That yeah. book is crazy. So that was kind of the founding, not even founding. I don't know how to say it because I wouldn't want to say that and someone else claims it's something different. But it was early, early development in kinesiology, the study of the body. And the reason why chiropractors are so good at these things versus medical doctors in many ways is because they have to go through kinesiology, whereas medical doctors don't have to. That is sometimes a prereq. But the kinesiology study of the whole body is what chiropractors actually do. So yeah, they work with structure and they can adjust you, but they also can like shove their fingers inside your stomach or your organs and do muscle testing and all kinds of other things to tie to diagnose you, to figure out what's wrong. Like there's so many interesting things that chiropractors do. And I always say this about chiropractors in general is you never know what you're going to get with a chiropractor. You either get someone kind of suit and tie, professional, cracks your neck, does your thing, car accident, you know, focused, kind of like my dad was, or you get someone in like a robe who feels like they're levitating around their office with crystals everywhere and like you know, they're more holistic practitioners as well. So chiropractic was um, demonized by the medical model for years, by the way. They're not considered doctors. So they have to have their – they actually have their, their own colleges. They have their own studies, very similar to uh, herbalism. Um, where they got, um, you know, Rockefeller Medicine came in 1910s, pushed out herbalism and plant medicine as the go-to. Native American, you know, tribal leaders and medicine people were actually heads of some medical schools back in the 1800s. That was very normal to have people like that chime in on plant medicine stuff. Hmm. But yeah, Kairos are kind of in that same boat, and that's why you find them to be like a little more mystical at times. And so they're a little bit avant-garde. And so with that, they had to kind of pave their own way. So yeah, my dad is kind of like a representation of that, I guess, where, where I'm from, you know. Is, is he still practicing? He is still practicing. Oh, wow. He's okay. been doing that for 38 years. Man, uh, chiropractors love tribe vitamins too. Yeah, I've noticed yeah. that. And even Travis, who's been on the podcast at Move. Yep. They sell. He's it. my Cairo right now. Oh, nice! Yeah. I hear great things. Amazing. I, I I know him as a person. He's a great person. And yeah, he I, is. his wife is using the tribe vitamins through their pregnancy. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy I've for them. I've heard of all yeah. this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm stoked for them. I've heard the stories. So what? Like, let's give Travis a shout out because Tra- somehow, um, this head of CU Athletics just hit me up about tribe vitamins, which is like sort of the dream sports program. Uh, line wise Talking about corporate contracts yeah i'm like come on this is like if we could get this to see you buffs on this because i i've met a lot of the football players and the team has gotten a lot bigger mm-hmm. um but i guess i don't even know what i'm allowed to say specifically about the players because i talked to the head of athletics but he found out about us from travis and you know you said that you could get any kind of chiropractors what, what makes travis special like let's just this idea i believe that what's most personal is most universal so let's just pick on Travis in a fun way what in a sense you go to him why is yeah. why is he good I think that he's so first of all I think his business mind is really good a lot of chiropractors have a struggle with business minds and that doesn't mean anything about his chiropractic uh, skill set but I do think that he has um, his ability to learn and in the chiropractic world you can stop learning you can actually pretty much be good after chiropractor college but what he has done is become not just a practitioner but a teacher of chiropractic himself. So he hosts his own workshops or he's, let me correct that and say he's invited to specific chiropractor trainings where he is training other chiros on how to make certain adjustments. 
Um, and so I do just think that his commitment and determination to the study of chiropractic is very important because you, like I said, I mean, with doctors and stuff, you can almost stop studying and still be benefiting from, you know, the practitioner. Mm-hmm. And I think he's not just the practitioner, the teacher, the, the becoming more wise to it. And he wouldn't even claim that he'd be like, Oh dude, there's like way better chiropractors than me. Um, but I mean, it is, it is pretty significant. And, um, yeah, my dad's similar. I mean, just getting into wellness in general, just mm-hmm. all around wellness and like taking care of the body. And and he's inviting, like what you said, your tribe vitamins and like everything else. Like that's that's important. You know, it's addressing the whole mm-hmm. root of the cause and making people all around healthier. Yep. And I um, also interviewed a chiropractor for the show named Doctor Josh Hant. Do you know him by any chance? That was a, he's a great guy too, man. He was he's on the he, he's using the tribe vitamins too for his running. He's like a long distance runner. But maybe we'll have to send your dad some. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. My dad would love that. He's coming to visit, actually. Oh, nice. Maybe we'll, we'll play pickleball or something. Let's do that. Yeah, yeah. pickleball. Let's talk about pickleball. <laughs> yeah. I mean, all right. First of all, I want to ask, what's more pure than play? Hmm. I mean, I would say maybe meditation. <laughs> but um, it's, it's, it's an interesting question because I explain to people why being playful and playing anything it gets people out of it gets people into the present moment that is probably the most significant thing about sports and outdoors you have to be so present that if you miss a millisecond you can hit something wrong you can do the wrong decision in a millisecond because you're making micro decisions every single second of play when you're play especially a competitive sport um, and that's why i always promote like people should get into something um, even if it's pool or just anything that's a sport or competition because it crafts the mind and it's able to present you with a, an opportunity to be extremely present in the moment. So uh, pure is – like that question, yeah. I, mean, I think of that as like the most pure moment. Yeah, yeah I believe more in questions than answers. And I've thought about that question quite a bit. And I, when I think about you, I think you're uh, very good at playing yeah, definitely. I mean that's most of our context of knowing each other is playing <laughs> yeah, with yeah. each other. Specifically, what I remember is volleyball and pickleball. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. you really, I feel like you are really dedicated to the power and the purity of play. I mean, it's, it's quite inspiring. I would say that's like a very notable thing about you that's special. That like, oh, if Dylan's at, like, if I like, I ran fifty retreats, and a lot of yeah. our retreats were based on playing. Uh, we would like come up with little competitions and we made sure this was play focused as a group. Yep. And I would like do it if we, if, Hey, maybe I'm remembering a future here, but when that comes up again, I would like you to be of the head of department of play. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. I absolutely love that. Like, yeah, I, I think that, um, I, I've, I've always, people look at, look at me and they're thinking like I'm intellectual and I can have very long winded conversations about a lot of different subjects. And I'm also, kind of goofy at heart and fun to be around and I'm more more dedicated to being fun and funny and like you know playful than I am actually the intellectual side of me because it's just both but people who are introduced to me through play is probably just a better all around better scenario yeah I mean it's actually kind of weird for me to be like sitting on a couch with you inside especially because it's like kind of nice I'm like this is (laughs) that's why I was excited to do this because yeah. I was like, man, we've been uh, playing so much pickleball recently, and we've played with you uh, several times. That I want to let's do the podcast. And we both have these podcasts with this, like saying the same things with different names. Yeah. All right. So pickleball, 
since we I'm giving you some credibility about playing, it seems like is this the fastest growing sport? What's happening? My family's so into it. My brother and his wife might both of them might join co ed leagues. They're all in. I'm like, I gotta get into this because when we play family tournament, I gotta win. Yeah, definitely. So what's going on with this pickleball craze? I think Gary V says it best when he always predicts stuff, right? He's always telling Yeah. Oh man, I was talking about, you know, Twitter back in blah 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 days. Um he what? even said it's the fastest growing sport, and he bought a team. I don't know if you know that. I did not. Okay, so this. so what? Him and LeBron James what? and some other football player who's retired, I think, um, bought a team. So they're buying teams in pickleball. Gary V is big on pickleball, and now he's talking about how this is going to be the best sport ever. And then his words, which I laughed at and I made fun of on Facebook, but it's probably true. He's like, "No, pickleball saving lives. It's saving lives." <laughs> and I'm like thinking about it, thinking, you know, it's true. I mean, cause golf is for obviously, you know, if you're older, you can continue to play golf. There's a certain, like, there's a handful of sports you can still play into your 60s and 70s, you know. And looking at pickleball being that it is a smaller version of tennis and a little bit less intense and less cardio, people can play into their 70s, you know. And, I mean, I might even play. I think I've played some 80-year-olds. Yeah, yeah, in the 80s too. And like in big, like big name business people just mm-hmm. here in North Boulder, just yeah. retired I definitely have. I haven't asked everyone's age who I play with, but it's, I'd be interesting to know who. Uh, but yes, I do believe that pickleball, being that it's boomers, it's trending because it's boomers who are this large demographic, people who needed something to do. And I think that um, if I remember, I looked up the re- like the history about pickleball. I think it was actually started in somewhere in the 60s or 70s. And it just had a, it's a very obviously super niche, kind of a ping pong mix um, I can't remember where where it started, but I know that obviously since after COVID, there was this trend around pickleball with um, one of the bigger companies that's doing it is Chicken and Pickle. So it's a large kind of restaurant and pickleball thing. Okay. So Chicken and Pickle came out. They started franchising. I do believe Florida and Utah are the mecca for pickleball. Wow. So in Salt Lake City, outside the city, there's um there's an indoor facility. I do believe it's one of the biggest indoor facilities in the world is that a chicken and pickle or is it's it? not a chicken and pickle okay. but i was just thinking about the states now because in florida i think was where chicken and pickle was but um florida and utah and utah obviously being indoor be given that we're we're in the mountains out here in colorado so people have to be you have to have something indoors whereas florida is common year-round i mean there's pickleball courts everywhere and uh it's an interesting sport because both city governments and you know public and private sectors are coming together to try to make this a reality and uh, I was even, you know, interested in starting my own indoor pickleball court here in Boulder, and and also Longmont. Funny enough, but some things fell through for that. But uh, they, of course, within the same six month period of me wanting to do that, two pickleball court indoor came in, came two pickleball facilities came open. Um, one was Boulder Pickleball in June, and then the other is Third Shot in Longmont. Just came out like I don't know October. They just opened their doors, so it's it's cool. I mean, it's great. I, lo- I love the sport, and I think it's going to continue to grow. I-, I recommend anybody play it, you know? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I mean, my brother, this is my, both my brothers and their wives were at this place. They had an open house in Georgia yesterday at a place called Pickle and Social, and every court was taken. They got one. Uh, it looked like there was a lot of good players out there. Um, I think when they are not at open house, they're charging $40 an hour. For a court. Yeah, I think yeah, yeah. so. And my brother was telling me he thinks it costs about $10,000 to build a court. 
I don't know if that's what you've gotten. Yep. I mean, you can't. So what happened was <laughs> one of the courts was um, they didn't even, they had concrete floors already. So if you don't have to pour the concrete, that's a lot less expensive. So you can find a warehouse and it has concrete. You can actually, you can flatten the concrete and fix it, obviously, the, the repairs. But ultimately you can get these um, mats. They're squares and they, they're like Lego pieces. So they all kind of piece together and they flush along the ground. If people want to see this, they can go to Boulder Pickleball, but there's really cheap and inexpensive ways to do it. It's actually trending as well on Airbnbs. So a lot of Airbnbs are realizing that their market is becoming saturated because literally everyone is starting an Airbnb. Um, and so the way to stand out is to make facilities or amenities that you know are valuable. A lot of people have to do hot tubs or whatever. Now you're seeing people build entire pickleball facilities on their, you know, large house or, you know, kind of an add-on as an amenity to their their listings, which I think is interesting. Another really interesting point with pickleball. So it merges generations. So I recommend people, mm. younger people play because mm. you're talking Merging. to the elders. You're speaking with elderly people who mm. have life experience mm. that you need. And Getting to know older, like the generations have to come together. There is a little bit of isolation. The Gen Z is kind of isolated in their own little block. And I feel like Gen, at least very little, like millennials and, and Gen and baby boomers, like if you guys are millennials or Gen X, you should be pickleballing not just for the play, but also to meet older people in your community. Because these people have, I mean, they have money. They're investors. They're retired. They've traveled. They have all this life experience. I have learned so much from just chit-chatting with older people at these pickleball courts than I have in many other different domains that I play in. So just that alone is a really valuable asset. Wow, that no, I mean, I can't believe how this is merged into my the passion around pickleball. But I just love this idea of the merging of generations. Mm -hmm. What a big deal. Um, and I totally agree with you. I mean, I, two of the biggest food companies in the, in the world, I, I understand that two of the owners play pickleball all the time here. Yeah. Like people told me that once they found out I had, uh, the tribe vitamins things going on. Cause they are asking me what, you know, I, and it, it is such an honor to, um, hang out with those people. Mm -hmm. These the people that have so much wisdom in such a playful way. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, that's something I figured out very early on when I was there. I mean, you know, my girlfriend Casey laughs about it, but I, you know, I'm, I'm more relatable to an older, like a 60, 70 year old dude than I am like another millennial, you know? It's just, I love it. Well, here's a business idea because um, the Florida and Utah and my seeing my brothers at that place yesterday, um, I think another super fast growing sport that I'm. I've had a lot of fun playing and I've also interviewed uh, Eagle for the po podcast. Who's one of like probably the top 10 players in the world mm -hmm. um, of disc golf. Yeah. And actually where we play pickleball is on a disc golf course. <laughs> yep, yep. And you know, the, I, when I recently took a trip to Iceland, I've been thinking about Iceland a lot just lately. Cause I think another volcano is erupting mm, and wow. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know the Iceland. Wow. I don't know if I can say enough about pickleball, Iceland, or disc golf. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, and disc golf is huge in Iceland. When I um, when we went to I Iceland, they had a championship there or something. They well, I guess because the terrain, it's almost like impossible to play in here. It's just like a volcanic terrain that keeps changing. Mm -hmm. It's almost necessary. Like the number one outdoor sports can be pickleball. Wow. I mean, not pickleball. Um, disc golf. Disc golf. Disc golf. But I am going to merge the two here. So here. 
it is this pickleball thing. Like even you said, they already opened one in Boulder. They already opened one along or around these parts. I'm like, maybe that doesn't mean much to me. There might be such a demand for this. Like, so so it's like bowling, you know. <laughs> so you can, you know you have like two three bowling alleys depending. I think it's different though because there's more people that want to play pickleball than. That's bowl. true. That's true. No, and, I'm just think of like when you have an alley, like you have your go to thing. Um, like that's the spot, but um, like but you could I, stick out believe... if it was like a if it was more like disco style or something more correct. Uh, so some bowling is like you know some bowling alleys are different. Some of them have bars, grills, yeah. things. Some of them are like just very simple, just bowling. So with pickleball, what is successful is um, just pickleball is good, but also pickleball in a restaurant or pickleball in a social club of some kind. Mm-hmm. So there's all kinds of combinations of of things, and. Um, yeah, I, I yeah I agree. No, so well, I'm almost hesitant to say this out loud. I'm almost hesitant, but Iceland indoor spa scene yeah is mind bending, and I think there's plenty more space for more mm-hmm. and hot springs popping up all the time and stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't know if pickleballs hit Iceland. Like, well, the, yeah, we have to see if it's growing. There like too. I don't know. Like I'm thinking you could create a. Like top world class destination in Iceland revolved around pickleball and hot springs, yes, spa, uh, social yeah. club. Yeah, I thought about that with Colorado, like in in the mountains as well, like a pickleball out there too. You know, I will say though, so there's somebody who was going to Europe, who was playing pickleball, and we were playing with her as a lady. She's like, "Yeah, I'm flying out to uh, Germany." Yeah, I think she was flying out to Germany, and I said, "She's like, well, yeah, that's the last time I'll be playing pickleball for some odd weeks while I'm in Europe." And I'm like, "Well, why don't they have pickleball in Europe?" She goes, no, we have something. I forgot the sport. It's another racket sport. She says, all the Europeans play this other sport. They don't like pickleball. That's what she said. So I was thinking, okay, cool. Well, I don't, I mean, you know, I don't know if that means they already have their own thing going and I'm not, I don't know how to play it. But she goes, it's somewhat the same and it's, but it's a little different. And so anyway, I don't know. Not to, not to like think about that. Well, no, I, I just think that there's uh, this pickleball as a business um, opportunity is huge. It is huge. And, and it's very that, simple. It's that's something that we business. haven't even like scratched the surface of. I, but I know you're very passionate about being an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Um, and I definitely want to talk about that because I imagine time's kind of flying into this. And with that pickleball realm, I almost lost t- track of time. Oh, and on the, I do want to circle back. You were talking about the upgrades to Airbnbs through pickleball courts yeah, and such. Yeah. My, bro- my youngest brother, they were going on a week-long vacation to the shark capital. Shark uh, shark tooth capital of the world because their sons love collecting shark teeth. Oh, wow. That's awesome. It's somewhere on the west coast of Florida. Uh-huh. And uh, they were going to rent an Airbnb. It was like a nice one. It was a nice one. Uh, but then they were going to come with a couple other friends. And the friends were like, where are we going? What? What? Hold on. Let me just check into the Airbnb because they're all like wedding videographers. Mm-hmm. And the guy comes back to my brother and was like, well, we're not. You're gonna get a refund for that house because we're actually gonna stay at their most expensive house. It's like twelve thousand a week. Wow! And um, they, and we're, they're gonna give it to us for free for a video exchange. Wow! And so, and then they do that, and they and those guys, the owners, and not only do that for them, but in, end up inviting them to their private home to play pickleball in their private courts. Wow! And yeah. it turns out that that's like what they're most pa- like. It seems like that's what they're most passionate about with playing. They went to church and then played pickleball, and I just thought that was a great testimony to this whole Airbnb pickleball. Yeah, and are adding it in. I, I just wanted to throw in this idea of like 
unique opportunities or side hustles. Like that was a unique opportunity that my brother kind of leveraged what he's already doing to, to not pay money, not to necessarily make money, but to get something gifted to him in exchange of another gift to make amazing connections. There's so much out there that you can do to do that. I know. That. I feel like you're exchange. kind of an expert in that. I know yeah. you like doing a Turo thing, yeah, which yeah. I would like to talk a little bit about, but um, side hustles, 2024. Yeah. I mean, I feel like there's a lot of people that could use them. How about being a contractor and offering to build people's pickleball courts at their house? I mean, if people are built, have any experience in construction, I'm just saying. I mean, you look at trends and you're like, oh, how can I be great at this? Or like um, photography. Some people like, you know, inexpensive it is to like buy a camera nowadays. It's like 800 bucks. You get a pretty good one. 800 to $1,200. You buy a camera, you can learn a little bit about photography, and then you can go in and start making reels or TikToks for various businesses and get paid, you know, thousand or a couple thousand per month per contract. And all you have to do is make like five TikToks like every week or something. This uh, circles it, back to this because now I'm thinking about it. These pickleball people, <laughs> they're like so intrigued how I show up. They're like, well, do you, how do you do this? Like, how do you play pickleball right now? What do you do for work? Yeah, 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 this yeah. Is, and then um, I, um, the first time I took my friend Donald, someone invited him to come down and teach him tennis at his private courts in Cabo because he, and he turned it into a pickleball court as well. Yeah, and so th this is just a very fun, relevant little niche in my life. But go on. Whoa, if you okay. Have any so like, more let's just add. let's listening. just say like just in the pickleball thing, even. But like, let's say you have a trend like pickleball, and then you got uh, all these indoor courts are opening, right? And what you've noticed is there's a lot of awesome on on TikTok as well as reels. You can see bunch of pickleball accounts and pickleball like trainings, pickleball videos, funny comedian like pickleball things. People can go in and right now and go to a pickleball court and literally be, you know, hey, I can record content for your pickleball facility and then promote it on your stuff and then use it as advertising to promote people to come here. It's just so many creative ways to like go out there and like market yourself or develop a skill. You know, people need to develop as many skills as they possibly can. A lot of people are stuck in college and they're learning stuff, but it's super academic and that's obviously becoming less and less valuable in today's day and age where you can just go out there and like pick up money all over the place. <laughs> it's crazy. All right. All right. So what what, how, what are you doing to pick up money these days? I like that. Yeah. So um, I've done photography actually um, and I've been doing my podcast. I sell supplements and things of that nature. I've been doing that for like seven, eight years as well. Like through the podcast? Yeah, through the podcast. Okay. But as well as just like in general, I've, I've had a, I've had like, I've been involved in network marketing companies probably like since I was 19 years old, given okay. the fact that my dad was as well involved in that because of he's wow. a chiropractor and every chiropractor is sold on some network marketing juice, juice or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, essential oils, all kinds of things that are out there. So all kinds of supplements and products are very co-intertwined with um, practitioners like chiropractors, for example. So I know a lot about that in that world. So I've been doing that for years, and I've just had customers who kind of have been on reorder for, for years, like subscriptions. Quick question about yeah. that, because I know a lot of network marketing companies, the way I've experienced them, um, they definitely are an amazing way to make a – if you're committed and you believe in what you're doing and yeah. have a marketing capacity, a big buck in the beginning – like that's and then it seems to it can easily drop off. Oh, I've I spent time back when I'm in my early twenties. I built and rebuilt. I call it build and rebuild a network marketing business. Uh, but more, most importantly, just taught me how to do sales and online sales, especially. So I took the model and just decided to 
instead of it being like, because you know how a lot of, let's say, podcasts have sponsorships. You're paid based on some kind of advertisement or something that you're, you know, you're going to advertise. It's not your own product, let's just say. And so I took that same model and said, well, if people were, you know, selling some kind of supplement through a network marketing company, instead of it being like a one-time, like there was all these like, oh, use this code and get a percentage off. Once a company acquires a customer and they used, you know, Daniel 30 for 30% off, whatever, they go in and get, the, once the company acquires that customer, they don't pay the influencer a reoccurring revenue, mm-hmm. okay? They use the one-time commission to pay for the acquisition of the customer, mm-hmm. okay? So once mm-hmm. that happens, then nobody gets paid again and again based on, let's say, if it's a service-based Like a classic a affiliate product. link yes. sort of setup. So that, that model I saw as a little bit like less, um, you know, like less money, less possibilities. Whereas at least with this network marketing model and at least with the company that I was in, they sell multitude of different supplement lines and different, you know, uh, things in general uh, through the company. So I was able to take various different things and make advertisements and stuff for that and then basically sell it. And then anytime they ordered it from then on out, I would always make a commission. Mm-hmm. So I figured that was better. So I don't do the network marketing thing anymore. I don't build a team anymore. Um, people are you know, more than what there are people who hit me up, they sign up and they're like, well, I would like to sell to my friend or whatever. I'll give them my videos that I used to make that mm-hmm. I trained on. But other than that, I'm not doing an active, like the, the whole thing, zoom calls every week. But you're still that. getting payments. Yes. Yes. Wow. That, but that company. Yes. It is, Which one it is, is worth it. Longevity is the company that I'm Longevity. What is yeah. that? So Dr. Wallach is the guy who basically Linus Pauling kind of came out with early, soil studies that showed the deficiencies in soils. Okay, this was in like the 1920s. And his his research kind of led people to rake, wake up and he, it was actually a it was actually a national emergency. Um the Senate actually convened in um this is in the 1910s. I think it was like 1912 actually when the Senate looked over the soils of the United States being depleted of nutritional value. And once it was declared a national emergency, they had all these hearings about what, what they can do about it and how they can reintroduce either volcanic soil or different things to try to energize the soil of the crops because of all the monocropping. So this was an issue in, ni- in the 1910s. Okay? okay. So back then, that's all. That's what we learned about. And then years later, um, this lo- a lot happened with that, but the, we already know it's been like it, – it was, it was declassified um, – you know, in the eighties. So people started to learn because they swept it under the rug. They didn't really do anything about it. Congress didn't really necessarily do anything about it, but in the seventies and eighties, they, it was declassified and people started to look into the fact that there were no nutrients in the soil. And by then you've got almost the, the come up of GMOs and all this, you know, the Mm -hmm. idea of like genetically modified organisms. So in the sixties and seventies, um, this guy, Dr. Joel Wallach, he was a veterinarian and he had just a, really like he, – he got kind of lucky in life. Like things would present himself and uh, he got invited to do a show in Africa to study sort of like all these animals that were you know very rare. He saved the white rhino population. Mm-hmm. He was working with another head veterinarian. So his life was really interesting. And then he got a call one day to do a, a large – one of the largest funded studies on pollution and the effects of pollution on zoo animals in okay. particular, you know, Chicago Zoo, New York Zoo. Yep. They kind of have like, uh, they're bringing these exotic animals in from mm-hmm. all over the world, but then they've also got these polluted cities. So they were wondering about the effects of pollution on these animals. And so in this trial and all of these, uh, this study, 
there was over 30,000 animals dissected as well as 3,000 human beings, um, their cause of death and everything. Mm-hmm. So, and, all, and they were natural causes. So everything was natural causes. It wasn't like getting hit by a bus or anything. Mm-hmm. So all the humans and all the animals died of natural causes. It was the largest funded study, and Dr. Wallach was one of the head doctors doing these autopsies. And so when he came up with all these autopsies, he is probably – his brain alone had more information than most of anyone ever in the world on this particular subject. And that's when he found about nutritional deficiencies. So he was kind of early – this is before he had a company and everything, but like very early on this idea of like, you know, you need about this set of nutrients, 90 essential nutrients. He kind of coined this term like you need 60 minerals, 16 vitamins, 12 amino acids, three essential fats, right? He's kind of said this over and over and over again because of his own studies of overlooking all these autopsies. So for years, a lot of supplement companies, including Herbalife and others, like they promoted Wallach's studies. Okay. And he had a uh, famous, famous tape. Anyone listening to this should go YouTube, Dead Doctors Don't Lie. And Dr. Wallach would do this thing where he would travel all across the country and he'd collect um, – mm. You got your phone? Right? Yeah, I guess that happens even on TikTok Live, which I also <laughs> want to talk about. Let's see. Uh, that's a, that's one of uh, the ranch, one of the ranches that supplies our elk. Oh, nice. We'll get a call of that. Uh, Wallach would go travel the country, do these lectures all over the place, but he would collect these obituaries of all these, you know, the people who died and what age and all the things. Obituaries are like public information. Mm-hmm. So he'd collect these obituaries everywhere and he would highlight all the doctors, all the medical doctors that would die. So based on his own research, he showed that doctors, like medical doctors, would die on the average of age of 58 years old. And so he would claim that this study and say, "Hey, you know, this is, this is these doctors tell us how to live, how to, how to, mm-hmm. you know, what, how to heal, right? But they're dying on average at 58 years old. Why are we listening to these people?" So he would do this whole lecture about nutrition. And, and then, so dead doctors don't lie on yep, YouTube. That's a tape I don't, I don't think I've seen that. It's just like one of those classic. It's a, it's a back in the 80s almost recorded. He's re-recorded it. I think the 90s uh, was the most recent recording. So there's CDs all over. So people would get these CDs in the mail. Dead doctors don't lie. So you would send these CDs and then you'd go send your Herbalife or whatever. Okay, you know, you wow, would kind wow. of have these samples and talk to people about this is why you need supplementation. You can't you have to supplement in your diet because of the lack of nutrients, blah, blah, blah. And then people would use the information to sell supplements. And eventually Wallach was like, you know, I feel like my name is being kind of dragged through the mud with all these supplement companies that not are, are not necessarily representing everything that I represent. That's when he started his own company. So that was in 1997. So we started Longevity. So Longevity is just like an old company mm-hmm. that's been around for a while, and he's kind of that. That nutrition alone is good, and then of course they're successful. So they've acquired other cool companies along the way, companies that have gone out of business and stuff with really cool products. So um, yeah, that's the company that I've I've been involved in. But like I said, not doing the network marketing building anymore. But you know, just still be- anyone who wants to buy these supplements, like you know, like, oh yeah, absolutely, sell those. But of course, I do Toro um, as well as strategy coaching and consulting. So people who just want strategy coaching in their life, like you know, with what a lot of business people, obviously entrepreneurs. So I do that as well, um, and just kind of we used to do Airbnb properties. Um, that was back in the wild, wild west days. So I've loved passive income forever. Passive income is really, really great, <laughs> and uh, highly recommend people get work on building assets that pay you. You know, that's that's ultimately what people should do is build assets that pay you over and over and over again. You know, I mean, Daniel's got tribe vitamins. So like people who are hooked on these supplements, like you only have to hook someone once. That's the beautiful part of the business model that you're in, for example. And so once they love it, 
you know, they'll bite again and again and again, right? So yeah, and I can relate to them. I'm hooked. Yeah, <laughs> ever, yeah ever since like I yeah we I was living in the house with a bunch of people that ran supplement companies, and I done I finally during the peak of that uh, 2020 situation, mm-hmm. I started. Uh, with Purium, I was like, oh, you know, I'm gonna let me. This is a great time to explore this network marketing because I knew the experience would be invaluable. Right, and I did. I made like I think I made like fifteen thousand dollars like one month, like one yeah. of the first few months. I'm like, what the? This is yeah. awesome. And <laughs> because the supplements were, a lot of them I still believe in, like the apothecary, like their um or their apothecary, they're like dark cherry juice and yeah. So do, it, do you know why? Actually, do you know why? So let me explain to people really quickly. The reason why network marketing products, you should go buy your friend who sells Monet, shampoo, whatever the hell. The reason why you should buy these products is because the network marketing model itself, over 50% of a company's budget is marketing and advertising. People don't know who you're about your product, no one's going to buy anything. So it's a very important part of business. So it, it sometimes it encompasses up to 60% of a, of a company's revenue. 60% of its expenses are on marketing. So what these companies would do is they would take, you know, um, a very lenient percentage, like same percentage, 30, 40%, and turn it into a commission plan and pay absolutely zero dollars of advertising. So with advertising, you it's a ratio. You spend a certain amount and you get a certain amount of return. You're never going to get one for one. You know, It's not going to always be that way. So for advertising early on, especially newspaper advertising and stuff like that, the, the effectiveness of what they would do is they would take all the rest of the revenue, the money for a company like a network marketing company, and they would invest in the value of the product. So they would do their best to make the best, highest quality product. However, if they made this high quality product, they realized that if they tried to mass scale and sell this product to the mass market – they they would have to pay a distribution fee to put it in Walmart or wherever those old stores were. So there's a distribution fee and there's a marketing advertising budget that you would have to have. In that reality, that that matrix, that paradigm, companies were never going to be able to put a what's called um, a like a price effective product to market because a supplement would like would cost about $150 in the 80s per canister if they did it via regular marketing models because they poured all the money in the research in the supplement, let's say, for example. So that's why you have to, they had to market it by peer-to-peer. So they're like, we're only going to pay for what is sold. We'll have a budget that's like a piece of the price of the product will be given as a commission to somebody directly. So it's called direct sales. Now is the whole business model. And so that concept now has, you know, you have Athletic Greens, you have all these other companies that are taking similar business models where they're they're attaching their name and brand onto influencers mm-hmm. and then those influencers promote it. So like, for example, um, On It Nutrition, mm-hmm. that whole thing was based on, you know, influencer chasing kind of marketing tactics instead of traditional TV buys and, you know, obviously newspaper, magazine, but even um, – what do you call uh, Facebook advertising? In some cases, they did very little of that at first. Now they have—they're huge. You know, mm-hmm. Ana is huge. Mm-hmm. They're all over the place, so they have the money to do stuff. But that's why these network marketing products are so valuable in many, many cases, and that's why they're—you know—you you can hire a Joe Schmo to sell it because the product sells itself. So that's kind of a little education if people were curious. Well, I can totally relate to it because that's what with Tribe Vitamins. Our we do not our marketing budget is not fifty percent or forty <laughs> yeah, yeah, percent. Yeah. It's like close to very little. Yeah, 
and that's because our um, we I decided that like wait a minute this product does not exist like 100% grass fed grass finished bison liver in a capsule raw freeze dried does not exist okay um, I'm gonna I I so believe in this product I'm gonna make it myself I'm gonna make a prototype bottle I'm gonna use it myself wow the results are amazing so now I aim to be the very best in that industry of organ supplementation and tallow balms yeah. And I even, right before you got here, I made a little post on our Instagram about how we're not cheap. Yeah. Um, so we, our cost is a very significant with uh, supply and processing and getting glass bottles and uh, doing things as locally as we can a lot of the times. And I mean, it'd be so much easier and cheaper to just white label a powder that already exists from New Zealand. Yeah. Um, but then I think we would have to be much more strategic about marketing. And we uh, really, we're doing word of mouth for now. But yeah. for scaling, I do think the um, the influencer route is the way to go. Yep. And yeah. Yeah. Anyways, I, I there are creative marketing strategies now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so that, like, it's not which, like... I, when I was, I haven't done it for a while, but the Ubering mm-hmm. in Boulder. Yeah. On game days. Uh, driving hit. around all the hit. bottles with my back mm-hmm. and behind me, the bottles in my book, and doing video interviews. That's a street. That was a strategic way that I intend on continuously doing, and I can't imagine someone driving for Uber or Lyft as a side hustle, and if they have their own thing, not promoting that. It's insane. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, it's such yeah. a good way to get to know your neighborhood. Yeah, I signed up for Uber and Lyft to take these airport rides because I have my Toro rental cars parked at a hotel by the airport. So what I was doing is I was I'm making these drives to go flip the cars, you know, clean them, make, make sure their maintenance is up to date and stuff. So I'd make these drives over there to go flip the cars and I'm like, dude, why am I not getting paid to drive over here? So I signed up and then I would do these destinations where it's like I just want to pick up someone and go to the airport like I don't want to, you know, do anything else. So I would take these long rides. Holy shit. You get to know so many different people and like what they do and it was very fast. I've learned more from other people, I mean, obviously, than I have in person, especially because you get to ask direct questions. And there are the most, there are so many crazy industries that people don't know about. Like, there's just so many things that you can learn. Uh, yeah, it's uh, first really, really person that invested in Tribe Vitamins was a passengers that I took to the airport. Wow. From North Boulder, their roommate. Wow. Um, <laughs> yes, yes. Wow. If people are curious, and this is, I'm a, I'm a big believer in God. Okay, and I believe that God works through other people. So if you pray and you're like, okay, I want, I need a miracle, can't just sit in your house and like expect a miracle. You know, I really feel that like connecting with other people is just how God serves. So in a way, you're gonna end up getting that benefit from miracles, quote unquote, will happen if you just ask the right questions and you go out there and you have almost like a um, no agenda, you know, in a way, and and just talk to people and love on people, you will get all the things you've ever wanted in life. It's crazy. Yeah, that that is probably the most powerful currency is uh, giving love. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, finding ways to support people. And I do think that like Uber and Lyft, I, I put myself in that driver's seat to like, oh, I'm going to get this per- top priority. I'm going to get this person safely and efficiently to their destination, depending on what they want. Yeah, that, yeah, number, yeah. And, but in the meantime, they're in my car and yeah. I'm driving. Like what a uh, responsibility and what, and they are just so receptive yeah. to whatever I'm doing. Yeah. <laughs> and when they see the flyer on the back and the picture of me and my daughter and the book and the, yeah. the supplements, <laughs> a lot, I mean, I've made, I can't, the investor thing is one thing, but I, I could go on and on. More about. than anything is like practice. 
You know, it's like practice to get to know people yeah. to do this because mm-hmm. then you get to know people and then you can get to know trying to sell. Mm-hmm. Right. And like, uh, it's just, it's a singers. It's if you're so a singer valuable. or a comedian or yeah. a poet, yeah, I would encourage you to start driving people around and asking your passengers if they're open to you practicing Sharing. Yep. your song mm-hmm. or practicing your poem or practicing your pitch. Yep. Like if you're in uh, Silicon Valley, and you have an app idea, why you are not driving around and pitching that app to all the investors that are going to get in your car Straight is crazy up. to me. Yeah. If you have a startup supplement company in Boulder, Colorado, yeah. and you are not driving around in Uber and Lyft pitching it to all the investors that are going to get in your car, or other food company CEOs or owners or uh, advertisers or strategists or Google people, I mean, it's like, what are you doing? Yeah. It's so fun, too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And this year, like, I kept saying this over and over, but it was just like, I'm like, this year is the year of collaboration. Like, be a CEO, and every great CEO or leader, like they they want to leverage other people, and it's all about being detached from the outcome. Because when you work with others, you're not going to always get exactly how you envision it. But if you work with others, you're like, and you let go of like the outcome, and you realize, let someone who's better at that work on that project or work with you on this thing, and let them handle that. Like, let go of how it's supposed to look. Because a true great leader, a CEO, is just reliant on others. Obviously, don't get taken advantage of, my God. But have awareness, you know. However, I just believe that this year for me was like, man, like, like I, like I pay for a cleaning company to come and clean my house. Like, like it's just little things where I'm like, I'm, I'm gonna start focusing on what's important, you know. Like the one thing. There's a book called The One Thing. I've read that one. Um, really good, good one. book. Yeah, really good book. Is. There's a focus it question, is. and this is the, this is the whole thing from the book. I'll just tell you right now. What is the one thing that I can do right now that by doing it will make everything else easier or unnecessary? So you get this task list, you got 10 things to do, and you really say to yourself, okay, well, what's the one thing out of this set of of things to do that I can do that'll make everything else easier or unnecessary? If you ask that focus question, that right there gets you to, oh shit, I'm just going to focus on one thing. It's like it's a cool it's a cool book, but um, yeah, I think the overall that was just something I wanted to add. No, I think I remember now. I'm having a flashback of uh, my friend Preston Smiles uh, that we did an interview, and I think that was his big book. It's a powerful book. I'm, I'm, I might short really book. Listen. Yeah, very short. I mean, it's like maybe 200 pages almost. But the collaboration of the Yo Uber Tube, I'm, I was just I do gotta celebrate it's, since you know Hollis. It's been over a year now. That's how I met her. Yeah. You didn't do an Uber tube with her, though. No, no. But I, okay. She was my passenger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, wow. That's wow. crazy. Um, all right. So the Turo, is it worth it? Like, what, what is your experience with Turo? Okay, Real so... Briefly. So, Turo, and what is it? And just in case someone doesn't know. All right, Turo is like the Airbnb for cars. Um, so it's like car rental for regular people. You can put your car on Turo if you have under 130,000 miles. There's not an age. Uh, there's not an, a year limit. So you, it could be a 1950s car. Um, so it started out in LA and it started by, um, he's, yeah, we can silence that. Um, wow. Freeze dryer company. I'm getting all the, everyone's hitting you up, is, dude. It's like, we're creating a, a, a vortex a here vortex. and that just ended the TikTok live, but keep going, please. Okay. Let's Turo. do it. Yeah. So 
Toro came out of LA. It was like a supercar company. So it was a fun way for uh, kind of LA influencers to rent out their Maseratis or whatever that just were sitting in their driveway or their garage, you know. So that's kind of how it all started. But then now, of course, it's, it actually filled a hole, a void in the car rental market, which was, you know, you have your typical like budget rental economy. Uh, uh, e- Oh my god, I can't even think of the other one. Enterprise, my gosh. Yeah, so these major companies would have um, corporate deals with, let's say, Hyundai. So like when you think of Enterprise, you think of Toyota Corolla or a Hyundai Santa Fe. Like those are the two main things you're gonna probably get. And with Toro, you can rent anything you want. So you can find exactly what you want. Oh, I want to ride a Jeep Jeep Wrangler 2022 or Mustang convertible, or, which I yeah. what did for a friend's dad because yeah. he was from out of the country and I, that was his dream car. So I'm like, oh, I'll rent that for a day That's and so take awesome. him around. Yep, yep. So you can kind of pick exactly what cars. And um, now at this point, though, Toro's become like a side hustle in a way for a lot of people. So uh, in Colorado or depending on where you live, do your own research on what cars you think are going to be best. Um, and and that doesn't mean you should just get the number one car in your in your area. Like for example, like. Jeep Wrangler is the number one car to rent in Colorado, but I don't have any Jeep Wranglers because I'm like, everyone bought one. Like, everyone did the same research. So, you know, it can't be too typical. However, uh, for me, I found all this by accident. I was in a Subaru, I was in a Dodge Charger 2016. So, my car, loved it. I was from Texas. I drove up here in 2020, moved here, and that shit cannot thrive here. Yeah. Okay? It's tricky, tricky. So, here, what cars I can last year. Tried to, I, I was like, you know, I think it's about time. It was hitting September, October, and there was a snow. And I was thinking, man, I, I feel like I just, I cannot drive at all when it snows. I'm like, can't live like this. So I went to the car dealership, a Subaru, and I was like, ah, I've heard of Subaru. I really don't know much about it, but I'm going to check out if they have any other cars. And so, long story short, ended up jumping right into a Subaru Forester 2018. And all right, it's a used car, whatever. Let's just do it. You know, I bought it. Then after literally not even not even three months, I was unhappy with the car. I was like, dude, this thing has no turbo. It has no good. It's like a mom car. I don't like it at all. It's too bulky. It's ugly. I don't love it. Uh, and I just kind of was like, you know, when you buy a car, you want to at least love what you're in, like, you know, at least. So it was a first world problem is what I say. Uh, and then I ended up trying to sell it on Facebook Marketplace, and some guy had nowhere. He was like an angel. He hit me up and was like, hey, man, this would kill it on Toro. And I thought to myself, oh, okay. I was like, why do you say that? He goes, well, I was trying to buy a Toro host. I'm like buying cars, and your car is perfect for Toro. I was like, oh, okay. Well, you know, what? You know, I'd like to learn more about that. Now, I He sent me a link. You can put and you can put – it's called a Toro calculator. So you can put your make, model, year, and your city – and then it'll give you oh. an estimate of how much a month you'll make. Oh, cool. That's based good on that. Wow. Yeah. So you can type that in and put all the information in there, and then it'll give you an estimate. So I did that. I saw I could make 2000 a month. And I'm like, shit, with everything paid, as insurance, I was like, it's 500 a month to maintain the vehicle just to pay it. And so I said, uh, that's a $1,500 profit, like if it does that. Mm-hmm. So then I'm like, okay, I'm going to give it a try. So I gave it a try, and I basically two, three weekends, let it rent out while I didn't have a car. I was kind of a bum. And then I said, okay, well, uh, this works. This is pretty fun. I'm going to do this. And then, uh, dude, oh, so much learning curve. But I, you know, originally it was like, oh, let's drive to the airport, drop it off. And then I go take the bus back to Boulder and all this stuff. All that was a huge mess. So I made a system. So my point is with Toro, I don't think everyone should jump into it only because 
if you don't love cars and cars aren't like like if you don't know cars very well and you don't like them and you don't know about them, I don't think the business is for for you mm-hmm. honestly, um, because you do have to know a few things about and the expenses can rack up. I mean, brake jobs, you know, oil changes. I mean, stuff can just rack up on people, and you do have to maintain those vehicles. I mean, you're you're having people rent your car just as much as a passenger is going in your car and you're driving it. Those cars need to be nice like they need to be souped up nice good clean uh feeling good you, you I, I mean literally i just dropped my car off and you know when i got out of the car it's very rare now that i actually see my renters but i was in i was in such a close time gap uh two days ago that i actually got out of the car i got out of the very car that i just finished detailing and i just put brakes on it i just got i got an old change that day right mm-hmm. and so to me i feel good knowing this car is Good to go. Mm-hmm. I, this can handle the mountains. This can handle anything. So I got out of the car and I see who pulls up. This Uber drops them off. It's a whole family. Okay, mom, dad, two kids, maybe like eleven and like fourteen. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking to myself, that's a family. They're relying on me to make sure this freaking car is up to date and it good. Like that thing ain't gonna break down on them. It's not gonna cause an accident. You know, like that's important. That's liability. Big time. So I recommend, like, if you don't have connections in the car world, if you don't have a mechanic friend, uh, which if you are in Toro or you kind of got your into it, you don't have a mechanical friend or somebody, you need to go on Facebook and find people because I got my brakes done from a guy in Boulder. I go to a storage unit, a storage unit. That's where his little business mm-hmm. is out of. It's off of Arapaho there. I might want his information. Oh, I'll this. give it to you. His yeah. name's Tarek. He's a good guy. And he fixed my brakes and everything for 250 bucks. Rotors and brake pads oh, wow. and labor, 250 bucks. <laughs> and those are like mid-grade. They're not like crazy. So anyways, um, that's why I recommend to people. Like if they like cars and they're, you know, they're into it or they like to even do their own oil change, like that's the business for you. Like get into Toro. Holy shit. My buddy who's really into cars, he just hit me up recently. He's like, he's like, dude, how much are you making with Toro? And like, is it, do you think I should do it? And I was like, yes, you should do it. Not, not other people. Yeah. You, yeah. You're into cars, it's you know, and you advice. like cars. So. I do highly recommend it um, for people who are in that. And the other thing is this: make a system, make a systems. Your your business is only as good as your systems. And it, Toro is not passive; it's semi-passive because you do have to go and deliver your cars or clean your cars or whatever. So I have a partner with a detailer. I found a small detailer. He's one dude, a one dude shop, and I found him. And now he he will detail my cars for me for a very inexpensive price. So he'll mobily come to my car, detail it. I don't have to be there. Okay. You know, wow. so wow. sometimes I like to do the little Uber rides and I get paid anyway. And like, eh, I got time today. I'm going to go do flip all my cars. So I'll drive and if the calendar matches, I'll go do it myself. So, I mean, I think it's a good business, um, but do a lot of research before doing it. But don't pay for anyone's fucking – there's people selling $2,000, $4,000 courses on oh, how wow. to do Toro. <laughs> and I'm like, shit, dude. If anyone's interested, you can just hit me up. You can find me, and I'll, I actually will help you out. So. And on that note, the yeah. Uber and Lyft thing, if someone wants to hit it hard, it is so worth the affiliate thing. I don't know if yeah. you know. Um, like my fr- I signed oh, up my friend okay. Alec, uh-huh. who also does Purium. Uh-huh. Has the same birthday as my daughter, and he hit the thing where I got it like an eight hundred dollar bonus. But then he signed someone up, and he got a twenty one hundred dollar bonus for Holy doing nothing. Shit! I know. I'm like, what? I mean, so the and I don't know if Turo has an affiliate link, but I don't want to ignore that. I also want to bring up the 
partnership my brother has with a mechanic in the business he's in, but I got a piss like a racehorse. <laughs> um, how are you doing on time and everything? I know we are I'm good on time. An hour can, in, but I, I don't want to end it because I want to. No, I could uh, chime in on something else. And while you take all right, cool. We'll take a fiver here. And uh, man, I would. Uh, I think out of all the side hustle research I did, uh, Dylan is dropping some real like just gold here, like the Turo calculator thing. Yeah, I'm like, come on, my brother. Now I'm like, he's probably going to do that, and who knows, he might start a business out of this. I will help anyone who <laughs> wants to do it. I think it's a good. Yep. So thank you for these golden nuggets. We'll be right back. All right, so we're an hour in now, and we're back. We're in. Uh, yeah, so we're talking about these different just business entrepreneurial ideas and partnering, like with this. What you're mentioning, the system of Turo. I was thinking about what my brother's done since the uh, once again the 2020 situation. Yeah, yeah. and he, um, what he did. He found a friend that had some money, and my brother loves cars, and he knew how to start buying. He was gonna like. He realized there was this issue with new cars, mm-hmm. and it was right around that time with the whole like chip shortage thing. If yep, it was real yep, or not. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and so a lot of people were trying to buy used cars as fast yes. as they could, especially with like the PPP funding and all this stuff yep. coming in. Yep. So he has bought and sold probably like a hundred Toyota four x fours. Some of them having over two hundred thousand miles on them. Um, splits the profits with this friend every time. I think 99% of the time they've made money. Wow. And a big key of that system that he has is partnering with a mechanic that because he knows he's going to keep bringing him work, gives him great deals. Right. And, uh, Unless I'm like, why is he not doing Turo? Maybe keep one of those Corvettes instead of just selling it off and start renting it, it, it out, it, especially it, it if that's a hot car in Athens, Georgia, um, uh, according to the calculator. Yeah. RAV4s are, are good. RAV4s? RAV4s. And here in Boulder? or Boulder, think, I mean, I would think anywhere. I mean, honestly. Like, I think uh, in Miami, a nice sports car. Yes. If you're in Miami, yes, a nice sports car. LA sports cars. Um, but, you know, in practical use, you you have to think of your clientele. This is also really important about Toro. You have to think of your clientele. I mean, if you're just, like, out here doing whatever – you, you got to think what kind of people are going to be renting your car. So like love my brother to death. He's got a 2010 Prius because he thought what's the most economical car to buy that's least expensive but then gets rented out a lot. And he came up with a Prius. It had higher margins, right? So he goes and gets this 2010 Prius. And I mean he loves his thing. He's doing it. But the clientele to to rent the Prius, it's 25 bucks a day or something. It's one of the lowest cost per day you could get okay you know what type of people you get lots of weirdos okay like (laughs) very you know cheap you know they're smoking pot they're chilling (laughs) they're they're even sometimes they're using it for uber like you know oh wow they're like renting it per day yeah and it's like stuff like that that and i'm just like that's the clientele people are using Turo to rent a car so they can drive it for uber or like maybe uber eats or something like that yeah Yeah, yeah, wow because of the yeah the whole thing I think you have to have a registered car, but yeah, Toro. People were doing stuff with his car. I think he, I think he ended up having someone. I think he was there were drug running, you know. Oh, and wow. I, I just oh, I'm like, that would make my, sense. I'm like I, my brother, I like he love him, but he's he just he did it different than me. I mean, that's why we're different. But like, he liked the idea of Toro, so he's I'm gonna buy a Nissan Rogue and a Prius. So he got like a 2016 Nissan Rogue and like a 2010 Prius. Like I have a 20 2018 Subaru Forester and a 2020 Subaru Outback. Like I have newer cars. They're all-wheel drive. They're family-oriented, so you're going to get a lot of families and a lot of people doing ski trips. So I have I, – I add on a ski rack um, sometimes just for free because it's so inconvenient taking them off and on. Um, and I also add a toolie box like, you know, 
big old tule box. Oh, like, oh yeah, you know, yeah, the so, storage thing on yeah, top. So people yeah. can kind of load up their skis and their helmet and God knows what else. These are just, it's called going into a market and going and trying to dominate. Weren't you doing the camper thing too? Yeah, so the other thing during the summer was I had a rooftop tent. Completely paid off this rooftop tent. Now I got a good deal for it. It was like 1300 bucks. But I paid off the whole tent just strictly by renting it out on Toro. Renting it out like as an add-on. And I would rent it out for an extra 150 bucks or, you know, 200 bucks, depending on how long the rental was. So I would rent the thing out. And then it, it's all about just how you increase margins. Because here's the downside of Toro, okay? Toro will, if you do the 80-20 split, which is about average that people do, you take 80, they take yep, 20. Yep. I mean, it's not that you're getting 80 and 20. It's not, that's not the real price. What the customer is paying is like, Sometimes it's 40% more than what you're getting. Mm -hmm. So if you're getting paid 230 bucks for a five-day rental, whatever, you're getting paid 230. That might seem okay, but the cost of the renter renting it, let's say it's 230. I'm doing like a real mathematical equation. They probably paid like 388. Okay. Okay. Close to 400. And you're getting paid 220, 230. And it's like, where are the other costs coming in? Mm -hmm. So there's a fee. There's a Toro fee. There's a host fee uh, or a Toro fee. Then there's insurance that they offer. Yeah, I was wondering about the insurance they, thing. They offer insurance, but your, your car is also insured. You have to have insurance. And your car is insured by farmers f on your end. So it doesn't actually matter. If someone is in an accident, I guess it depends on the person who's in the accident they pay for. These are people like if you have car insurance, you can rent any car you want. You're covered. I mean, 90% of car insurance. Mm -hmm. If you have car insurance and you're living in a different place and you're with Geico and you have a policy and you have a car, okay, you're covered for a rental car. See, people get confused. They get these uh, these markups to buy insurance through these various companies like Toro because they're, they're feeling like, oh, you're not covered on this trip. But that's not true. If you have car insurance, you're covered. There are very rare cases for car insurance where you're not covered. So anyways, for the customer, they're paying all these extra fees. They're paying for insurance, thinking that they don't have any. And I ask them straight – I'll straight up start asking people. I text them. I don't do it through Toro. I'll text or call them directly and be like, listen, I got a rental car company. I run it myself. I can do direct you and I. I give you 40% off, and I'm making more money still, let's just say. So I'm like if I offered them a $300 rate, I'm getting 220 on Toro. They're paying 388 on Toro. So I'm bringing them $88 off. I'm making myself another 80. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So I'm almost meeting them, getting them a discount and giving myself a boost <laughs> in my and my um I guess I wonder revenue. about like the legality of that. Are there they rules have of that? car insurance. You I'm you just develop saying, a like, contract. If, if you met them through Turo or whatever. So I mean obviously they don't like that. It's great market. Great <laughs> yeah, market. I know. No, so you got to be careful with that. You yeah. got to be careful with that. I'm just being straight up. That's what I would do. Oh, would okay, um, yeah, yeah. But uh, you know, I think that um also of course I've been, you know, Boulder Collective. There's Facebook groups and stuff. Yeah, I you, saw you that. I connected people, you. Did any of those people ever come through? <laughs> one person I think I messaged you back. They were they were funny enough they were renting my brother. I don't know if this was the one you recommended, but one of them, someone, he was renting my brother's Prius and he goes yeah I'm just looking for a cheaper option and he was and I didn't know this I did not know he was renting my brother's Prius but I found him through the boulder uh, oh, and I go bro straight up you got the best possible deal <laughs> you cannot find something cheaper than that bro like unless you wanted to do some kind of trade you know which uh, which people do and that's fine but anyways yes I do have a private contract so listen if people are out there doing Toro 
start your own LLC. People should start an LLC no matter what the fuck they're doing. Um, but just, you know, start your own LLC and then do payments through Stripe or do um, – and then make up a uh, – have AI write you a rental contract. You can write a rental contract as long as you have your VIN number and your year, make, and model. You can write uh, – you can have AI just type in on AI chat GBT. Say, hey, write me a rental contract using this information for for you know whatever. And then they, they give you everything you need and they'll put date in there. They'll put liability in there. They'll put everything in there, signatures, everything. So then if AI produces it, go in, edit it if you need to, and I make it. That's a Google Doc. I have a Google Doc of a contract that's a pre-written contract. So what I do is for each private contract, private rental that I do, I just edit and make sure the date is right. I make sure the rental period is correct. And I make sure that they have obviously their insurance policy number, their driver license number. So I get all their information and their signature. And by all intents and purposes and all legalities under my business, that is a contract. That is a contract. See, Toro and Airbnb and all these other places, they are benefiting by their marketing, right? So if they can market and get your place booked or get your car booked, that's their benefit. That's why they charge all these fees and that's what that's how they run their business. That's fair. We love Airbnb. We love Toro. They're going to bring us customers. However, if you focused on your own brand and you focused on becoming an adventure car company like me, I'm an adventure rental. So I have a mm-hmm. teardrop uh, trailer. I, we have a camper van. We have a camper truck. So this is, we have a bunch of vehicles. So if you brand yourself as a person who does this, then you will get plenty of friends and family to rent your cars from you. And guess what? You don't need Toro and Airbnb. See, these companies are realizing the power of AI, which is insane. You can have a lawyer. Like AI is putting lawyers out of business. You can have a legal contract written up in no time. And it has everything that you could possibly want, you know, given a business deal or some kind of other touch. I mean, it's insane. And again, again, <clears throat> this is for people who are um, avant-garde, breaking normal, right? Like they're not going to be – if you're listening to this, you're like, oh, hell no. I'd stay right in that rigid system, <laughs> you well, know? Well, speaking of this car business and LLCs and entrepreneurship, yes, yes. am I understanding – like right now, it's December 22nd. I was born at 2.22 a.m., by the way. Fun fact. Oh, nice. In Miami, Florida. Um, anywho, <laughs> the, uh, is it true that if someone's like, man, I'm going to owe some tax money this year, is it true they can buy a vehicle over 6,000 pounds and fully deductible fully deducted? Isn't that what Grant Cardone just posted about? I, I saw this one. It reminded me of it. And he said yeah. something else about leasing a vehicle. I knew about the 6,000-pound one. I haven't done it personally. I was just wondering. That's a commercial vehicle. Yeah, that would be considered. So like, 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 like oh, wow, I'm going to owe 80,000. Is this true that someone could do this? Like, wow, I'm going to owe 80,000 dollars of taxes next year. Um, I'm going to go ahead and buy that Mercedes G6 wagon for $82,000, but I'm going to finance it and just pay a month payment, and then that thing is fully, is that? I don't know. You can't finance, <laughs> I don't think. If you finance, I, I'm not an accountant. Can, this is not so, tax advice. Yeah. I'm asking questions here. If you finance it, you can only write off the payments you made during the year oh, that yeah. you were financing. Okay. I'm pretty But if you get a sure. loan, like if you pay for it like through Capital One or something. And- um, if you get a loan... And then you paid it off, and you have the title. Yeah. Then yeah, I would say you could write the whole thing off. And then I, on the Grant Cardone side, I saw him saying if you lease a vehicle, it's fully deductible. He said all the payments that you make for the lease go towards the tax write-off. Yeah, yeah. So the the amount of payments. So would that not be smarter for like say an Uber driver to lease their vehicle then? Yeah, but you just have to remember the mileage caps. 
Oh yeah. Okay. Yep. On leasing. They so, will, never leased a vehicle. So yeah, yeah. They. I was just sitting across a guy who was like, maybe you should lease a vehicle. I said, dude, it's on Toro because I was going to go acquire another car. So uh, I've, dude, I've like sat through at least twenty five car deals. Not that I went through with all of them. I'm just saying I've negotiated them. And one of them, yeah, he 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 really talked to me about leasing. And and he's like, oh yeah, yeah. If you um, he said, but if you go over ten thousand miles, you know, you have to pay this fee and okay. stuff like that. So it can make itself work, um, and you can buy out your lease, right? So if you do intend to do that, okay. so right now interest rates are high. Okay, so people are doing a lot more leasing than buying because interest rates are so high. So instead of that's like renting versus owning mm-hmm. a house. Mm-hmm. So you so you say, okay, it's the same product, but instead you're going to it's almost a rent to own option. So you are leasing the vehicle and that includes all kinds of benefits by the way, like maintenance and all the stuff they cover it for you. Okay. So you do get to lease it, you pay a little bit of higher premium and in many cases nowadays with their the, the car market is so slow that they are not even doing any money down for leasing. So you can actually lease a company with lease for $0 down. And you can take the payment each month, and you can have a mileage cap. But ultimately, you're. It's. I don't know if it's ideal for people who are driving Uber because I know with Uber you can rack up at least 500 miles a week. I do mostly sure. only local drives. Personally, for my situation, yes. it might because I, I saw this offer from Uber the other day. It's like, hey, we'll pay you three thousand dollars. Plus a dollar a ride, plus a thousand dollars a ride, plus a thousand dollars for your hundred rides. If you get a new Tesla Model Three, yeah. Um, and then I looked at the options. I'm like, oh, forty-seven thousand. Like that's. But then I looked at the uh, thing, and it was like leasing three twenty-three a month. I'm like, wait, what? Mm-hmm. That that seems like a, a smart idea. If no, I still if get it's... all those benefits, I've got like forty and and a seventy-five hundred dollar tax break at the end of the year for the EV vehicle. I'm like, wait a minute, that's almost the only question you should have if you do that is the mileage caps. Yeah. Okay. Because yeah. if you're standing there and then they charge you fees, it sucks. But if you just say straight up, hey, this is how many miles I'm gonna drive, um, then you can pay up front. So they'll calculate your monthly payment by how many miles you'll drive. So you can ask for fifteen thousand miles a year. You can ask for twenty thousand miles a year. And they will calculate your payment based on the mileage. Good, more good intel. You know, I, 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 this is all very personal, valuable, personally valuable to me. I, and I, who knows who's listening. So, if you have any questions <laughs> and uh, want to follow up with either one of us, how's the best way for people to get in contact with you? I mean, you can just go to matrixbreakers.com. Okay, matrixbreakers.com, and you can find my my links to everything. So my podcast, my Facebook. You can add me there. It's Instagram, TikTok. If you're there, like you know, wherever. So awesome. Yeah, people can find me there. And y'all probably know how to get in touch with me, but you can direct message me on Instagram at Daniel Eisenman or email me, Daniel, at breakingnormal.com, baby. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So you briefly mentioned like everyone should have an LLC. Okay. I have some ideas why you said that, but why? If someone – like, because I know plenty of amazing people that don't have an LLC. You should, cut this, very smart. you should cut this piece of audio right now and tell it to everyone that you've ever known, okay? So you should get an LLC because – Think, think of credit, okay? You know credit cards can be the devil, right? Of course, people think of they're scared of credit cards in many cases. However, your line of credit really means in financial world is short for credibility. What's your credibility in the marketplace? Are you able to take money and pay it back? You pay your debts, right? So in, in the world of credit, you can only receive so much credit based on personal your personal credit line, okay? You can only get so much because you know you only make so much, and a lot of personal credit cards are designed for people with jobs, people who make sixty, eighty thousand a year, right? Something like that. So 
of course, your your income can vary, and you can have a big, nice, cushy corporate job and qualify for a little bit of higher amounts. You know, a ten thousand dollar credit card. You know, that's high for a personal credit card. I mean, fifteen thousand is pretty high. However, if you start an LLC today, just call it your first and last name LLC. Doesn't need to mean anything. You don't even have to have a real business. You just you file a legal entity. Legal liability company is what the LLC actually means. For me. The real big reason to do it is for business credit, just purely business credit. If you have access to money and capital and you don't need to go through an investor and you don't need to go through any other um, bank or institution, you can just do it through credit cards, you can do that today right now. Now, obviously, credit cards yield higher interest rates, so you have to be mindful about this. However, if you start an LLC today, immediately, go once you get your EIN number, Okay, you take the EIN number and you go to the bank. And at your bank, you open a check in a business checking account, business savings account, and at your bank, whatever bank it is, you can go and get a business credit line, uh, business credit card right then and there. Same day, same day. You can legally say that you make four hundred thousand your business makes four hundred thousand a year. You can legally say that and not have to necessarily prove it through paperwork. You just say, this is projected, okay. right? And some people have like, you know, big. So you can legally say that with any, no repercussions. It's not like you're you're not lying or anything. But you're like, oh yeah, I can make, the, the business will make 200,000 this year or 400,000 this year. If you go higher than that, you know, the, the, the bank is gonna be like, okay, well, we would love to see some proof of, you know, mm-hmm. income. So if you go in, start a business checking account, you can start a business credit card that day, build your business credit. Your business credit will be like your baby. It'll be a baby when you when you go and do it. They mm-hmm. will use your personal credit profile yeah, to, to obviously use your business credit. But if you start a business credit card, you can have, if it starts small, they might give you 2,000 or 4,000, something small. However, with business credit lines, you can get access to 50,000, 80,000, $100,000 business credit cards. You can't necessarily do that as a personal credit card unless you're making, you know, lots of lots of money. And and but again, just this alone because also your business credit does not reflect on your personal credit. It will not mm-hmm. you know affect. So, if you go in, let's just say you get a if you got up to a $30,000 credit line from a from business credit card. Say you got $30,000. Well, what can you do as a business owner if you had $30,000 and you had 0% interest for a year? Because a lot of these introductory rates are 0% interest. You just got $30,000 that if you know you can pay it back within a year, you won't pay any interest on it. Mm -hmm. And then you won't need to pay all of it up front. Obviously, you'll have a year. These are just some calculations you can make for yourself, right? Yeah. So, so these people listening, you know, let's say they, let's, I'm just, if they don't have a business right yeah. now, they can work themselves up. If you use your business credit card, go to the grocery store, restaurant, whatever, pay off everything. The, re, the way you build it is you zero out your credit card. You use it like a debit card. And I've been telling people almost to cut their debit cards in half. Don't even use debit cards. There's no benefits in a debit card. You're just debiting yourself. Like it's like, Credit cards will at least give you some percentage back of their cut, right? And they're using their cut to, you know, their for the merchants to process those credit card payments. That's how they're making their money. So the credit cards are happy. You zero out your balance. You don't pay any interest. Avoid interest, obviously. So you zero out your balance every single time you make a transaction. You pay on it. You pay on your credit card immediately, like as if you used your debit card. You know, only mm-hmm. spend what you have. Then when you zero out your credit card for two, three, four, five months. The business credit card that you have, in many cases, they will increase your limit of spending. So if you started with four thousand, they might jump you up to eight, 
they might just mm. randomly jump you up. Oh, interesting. So, so, yeah, over time, you can get that done. You, you can do this within three months. One card, within three months, I got it up to a $25,000 credit line just within three months. So people can do this right now, um, especially with the higher interest rates. If you have discipline and you believe in yourself and you can pull a credit line and you pay it off and you zero it out every single month, you got to keep track of your statement balance. Um, I'm sorry, your statement date. Keep track of your statement date. Like, okay, this is going to run. Your credit card will never charge you interest on purchases you make if you pay them off before the statement date. Oh, interesting. So you have 25, and normally 25 to 30 days, depending on the credit card, you have 25 to 30 days to spend, 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 spend. But as long as you remember, memorize the statement date that's coming up and you pay it and you zero it off, you'll never pay interest. So you can start using this right now. Pay, build your business credit, and ultimately get credit lines that are huge. Yeah, I know this was something. I know, a leaf blower or something. Yeah. I don't know what that is, but I trust y'all can hear us okay. I, I don't know about your phone, but this should be fine still because it drowns yeah, up. Yeah. Wow. All right. So that's great advice. Um, and I also see an LLC for tax purposes in the sense that uh, why, like, for instance, why would someone? It's you, you know the credit card jump line, how it jumps up sometimes randomly. <laughs> it reminded me of like why, it's one of the, it reminded me of why don't everyone have like an Uber or Lyft account just in case? Because Timothy, my brother, who I was mentioning earlier, does the car deals. He, I think he came out to Boulder and I was like, yeah, just drive it and hit this bonus, and we both yeah. get these bonuses. And then, but he still has his Lyft account, and all of a sudden. In Athens, Georgia, they prompt him like, "Hey, if you give three rides in Athens, Georgia, we'll give you a thousand dollars." What? Wait, the Lyft does yeah, that, or lifted that? Wow! And he gave three rides and got a thousand dollar bonus. I'm like, this is kind of like if you can be responsible with these things, yep. like the credit card. Uh, oh yeah, no. Like, why would you not have these? It's a basic, yeah. Uh, like if someone's just looking have. for like little extra bonuses in their life, like little side hustles. This seems both. But these, these are hacking the matrix. This is breaking out of the matrix. Like these are little methods. You know, um, people don't think about. Yeah, and then I had a couple other questions. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like for tribe vitamins, for instance. It okay. reminds me, like, I am a, a supplement company, tribe vitamins, the, it's an LLC, but I am constantly doing research and develop on, development on new products. Right. So to me, uh, now so much more, um, I have so much more freedom to write off things that may have not, I, you know, I'm not once again giving advice on taxes and I'll ask my accountant about certain topics of this, but a lot of this, like I go shop at places where I'm aiming to create a relationship um, where they might sell tribe vitamins. Mm -hmm. So how much is my shopping there deductible? If you shop? Yeah, like I'm shopping there with the intention of creating a business relationship with these people where they'll start, I, I'm shopping at their grocery store but I'm hope I'm trusting they're going to sell tribe vitamins in the future. Yeah, because of this relationship I'm um, cultivating while yes, shopping there. While you're shopping there, so I, and I'm just like this is a creative question around having a personal LLC and how your accountant can basically answer that more accurately. Yeah, um, but ultimately, yeah, you can probably write off. This guy's like, what? I know. I guess someone's, I don't know what they're doing. I guess since it's been so dry here for so long, they're doing some maintenance themselves. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, ultimately, you can write off almost so much. You know why the thing is? Here's Let's say thing. I buy a lot of liver and heart because that's our yeah, main selling yeah. products. And that not all of that goes into our products, right. but it is you a can, business expense. Exactly. No, you don't. 
this is the thing about okay so the reason why there's all these write-offs and there's all these abilities to avoid taxes is because the entire tax code is of course unconstitutional so there's a lot of tax lawyers who love fighting the irs they love it they live for it because the whole thing is kind of a sham to be honest so there's all these loopholes that people just are not privy to because you know they're just ignorant of it and of course everyone's going to keep that a secret like they're not going to necessarily let everybody know but if you own a business and you have all these yeah expenses or you want to write off your even your house your car payments like there's so many ways to avoid taxes because the whole thing is already kind of uh, illicit, if you will. And I say that because it's true. I mean, there are so many, if you listen to a tax accountant or a tax attorney who fights the IRS, dude, they will give you so much wisdom about like how it's already broken. <laughs> and you know, there's so many great hacks to avoid paying so much tax. So yes, absolutely. Your LLC, everyone should have an LLC because of that too. Because you're, you're, the reason why uh, businesses are going to pay less in taxes. It's not because, oh, the rich keep richer and that's such a peasant mindset. What it is is because businesses ultimately provide value for a nation, okay? The nation, a, a, a nation's way or method of making money is not through taxing people. The original way for a nation to make money is from trade and commerce with other nations. So ultimately, if you have a business in a, in a country that country is going to want you to have their business that in that country and manufacture and build everything in that country because if you ever get to a point where you're going to export that to other nations, they charge tariffs based on the trade deal and the commerce going on between countries. So the U.S. Treasury is supposed to make money by charging other countries tariffs from either sell, the selling of our goods and exporting of our goods and the purchase of our goods. To, for other countries and also the purchase of their goods to our country. So those tariffs are supposed to fund everything in the government. That is the original method for a government to make money. So the tax code is kind of just this like obviously 1910, 1911. Again, that's kind of a weird year. We talked about that year multiple times already. <laughs> um, during that time, they, they, they passed the Federal Reserve Act, right? That's where the bank of the Federal Reserve was born was, was during that time. And that was during that was December twenty first, I believe. So it was when Congress was out for holiday. <laughs> they passed it under the table, hmm. given the fact that most congressmen were uh, not present. That was their vote, not present. So the birth of the Federal Reserve is a scam. The the that's the fiat system, the whole banking cartel. We can talk about that forever. Yeah. So the tax code was also birthed right out of that. The the personal private or personal tax, that entire system was a completely flawed system as well. So hmm. yeah. Ultimately, yes, if you're starting a business, the reason why you're going to get all these tax benefits is not because we live in a capitalist, corrupt, blah, blah, blah. It's because you are providing value to the nation by starting that business. You're, if you, especially if you hire employees, you're adding revenue to other industries. Like That is increasing the value of the country ultimately. I'm just curious what that is. Oh, he's blowing. He is blowing things right now. Wow. I wonder how bad that noise is. <laughs> that is a rare breaking normal moment, but we're going to break through it. This is such good advice. I mean, and I, I, we will be ready to wrap this up in a few sure. minutes on my end. Um, I did have a question about the all the vehicles and stuff that you're purchasing or using for business purposes. What is the rules with renting like a bus or buying a bus to rent out for people to live in? 
Not, so or like not live in, but or... like an Airbnb. Like if I just say like I have a friend that has an awesome school bus and he's trying to sell it. I'm like, man, I could get that for 5,000 bucks and then I could rent it out for like $200 a night in Boulder somewhere cool. Yeah. Is that, is that, do you know anything about that? I mean, I think that it depends on if you buy it with your LLC mm-hmm. um, or if you buy it personally. Again, question for your accountant. Um, but ultimately it is, that's a good question, man. Cause, cause you, it's like Toro. Toro is kind of this new thing where you're renting odd cars and everyone's like Honda CRV is now capable of getting tax benefits, you know, or mm-hmm. write offs. So I would imagine that that as an asset, if you classified it as an asset, or even let's say you bought it, but then you put the title under your LLC and you used it as a tax write off, the whole thing. You could write off the whole thing. But even just expenses on it and running a business would also, would also help you with that too. Depends on the, um, the avenue in which you rent it, like if you rent it on Airbnb, because they have specific things that they can help you write off. All right, man. I, I we broke the one hour and eleven minute mark, and this guy is really reminding me of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> this guy is deciding to do this work right now. Oh my god. Um, yeah. I I think I'm probably going to re-listen to a lot of this, and I have a, I already know many people that are going to find a lot of benefit of this. So I so appreciate your time and wisdom. And um, I think that, you know, I took some notes. I think we talked about most of the good stuff and we broke the time limit and everything. Do you have any questions for me before we end? Um, Shoot, that's – well, one thing I wanted to mention was just given the financial advice thing, like – Talk to your own accountant. Yeah, yeah. I have no. I, have, I don't think we gave any advice. I think yeah. we were just asking questions yeah. out loud uh, and just personally. sharing ideas or, or methods or strategies. And um, you know, do your own research on everything that I shared too. Like people should go down the YouTube rabbit hole and find out what's what. Um, but yeah, I mean, for you, I think that uh, you've been doing breaking normal for a few years now, right? And um, you know, I was I was wondering about your relationship with JP Sears, Awaken with JP. Yeah. Um, that's one thing. That's one thing that I wanted to ask you about. Oh yeah. So basically, I mean, I can tell you, like JP and I, we were both living in North County, San Diego, when we were both invited to a an event in Australia to speak at. Um, so I and I was like, wait, JP, who's JP? He told me the guy that invited us told me who he was inviting me, JP, and one other guy. And I was like, I knew the other guy, but I didn't know JP. So I was like, oh, he lives right next to me. Uh, so I asked him to go to a coffee. When you were living where? Uh, in Encinitas. He was living in Carlsbad. Okay. California, North County, San Diego. Yeah. And we went, I, I am quite the coffee connoisseur. And I'm pretty picky about coffee. I like coffee too. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And uh, JP, he's like, yeah, let's go to this coffee shop. It's the best in town. And I went there and I was, and he asked me how it was. And I was like, oh gosh, because I'm pretty, I can be, yeah, I yeah, have yeah, a little yeah, thing a little about snobby. transparency. Like is, yes. in addition to my coffee snobbery, now I have this also thing where I'm very um, aligned with being as transparent as possible, especially in this time of my life. And I, I, so I told him like, it was not that good. You know, I didn't like it. Like I have a much better place right down the road. Like, and yeah. the way he reacted, we immediately became really good friends. Yeah, because like, oh my gosh, I, I was worried about offending this guy, and I, I'm starting to think I can't offend this guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was like great vibes right from the what beginning. What year was that? Mm, that must have been about 2015 or 16. Okay. And then, um, <sighs> so then we got to know each other more and more, and saw, and we had some mutual experiences with uh, Paul Check that were very interesting. He used to work with Paul Check, and um, 
we eventually started like, I, oh, I invited him to a couple of our retreats mm -hmm. and he was so good because he was like an emotional healing coach at this point. Oh, that's and awesome. And he was like such a good guy to have at the retreat. So yeah. we started co-facilitating them with us. Oh, wow. And then ended up when we started this company called International Tribe Design, we did 14 retreats. Uh, the very first one was in Kauai and JP was one of the uh, guests there. Yeah. And uh, ghost guest facilitators. And he did his first comedy show there. Oh, okay. that was so, his first time because it, it was all was so this was all about like whatever you can do to connect this group in the most potent way, you do it. Like we don't care. Like I, as long as you're not gonna hurt anyone, he's, and he's like, well, I have an edgy like comedy thing, and like and he was questioning him like that, do that, yes, yes. And it was a it was a huge hit, such a huge hit. That now that's his career, right? And then he actually we did a retreat in Costa Rica where I invited him and Amber to co-facilitate they didn't know each other at that point mm -hmm. and then they both came to our montana retreat and they started dating after the costa rica one and he proposed to her at our montana retreat wow they were facilitating a, a workshop or a play shop on relationships <laughs> and the whole time they were doing it i was like uh weaving this ring on my finger out of twigs mm -hmm. like i just made a ring like because i'm a little a little adhd like attention dialed into a higher dimension kind of yeah, thing yeah, yeah yeah and so sometimes i focus better if i'm like fiddling or something yeah so i was loving their facilitation and i was just like making a ring on my finger as i was doing it and then all of a sudden at the end of the thing something crazy was happening it was like hard to tell but jp's proposing to amber whoa and and then at the end of it, he's like, and I don't even have a ring. And I was like, yes, you do. <laughs> oh, no way. That's amazing. And yeah, now they're uh, married and living on a ranch in Texas. And yeah, yeah they so moved to Austin. He wrote the forward of my book. He was the first uh, person on this podcast. So, oh, okay. That's yeah. amazing. We, we've lived together a little bit and we've kind of house-sitted and all the kinds of cool things. Wow. Okay. Yeah. See, that's amazing. Yeah. Because I looked up to that guy. Like, he was Oh, yeah. Awesome. JP's the man. Um, I'm amazed that, JP, if you're listening, what, how have you, when are you and Joe Rogan going to get together? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah. I don't think he's ever been on that podcast. They are so aligned, I think. Yeah. Definitely. And JP had a son and, um, man, him and Amber are awesome. Uh, yeah, we lived in Charleston with him for a while. That's what, yeah, that's when uh, we found out Diana was pregnant with Davina. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, that night, it was the weirdest thing. We had oysters and clams the night before. And I woke up in the morning puking. Whoa. Like literally morning sickness. And I was like, oh my God, like, is no one else uh, puking? Like, did, were those clams bad? Yeah. Um, no one else was. And, I, and then I snapped out of it. And then Diana told me she was pregnant. I was like, and then I saw her get morning sickness for like the next six weeks oh at JP's house. God. She puked all over JP's house. Oh. And we had our dogs who are in the bathroom, funny enough, right now during the interview. Uh, my dog, Araya, was a puppy at that point. So Araya was pissing all over his place and Diana was puking all over it. Oh my God. And uh, yeah, it was a fun time in our lives there in Charleston. But now he, he lives in Austin. Yeah. Is that Charleston, Louisiana? Charleston, South, South Carolina. Carolina. Yeah. Okay, right okay, next okay. to Folly Beach. It was James Island. Okay, nice. Yeah. You've been all over the place. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, we, I went to all 50 states. I traveled a lot for about 11 years straight. A lot, a lot. Yeah. Hosting the retreats. Because we would aim. That was just like another fun idea. I guess it seems like more people are into traveling now than ever. Um, I almost feel like it's time to bring the retreats back, especially with this like pickleball. I, so I stopped. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's so funny. 2020, we all stopped traveling a little. Yeah. I traveled a little bit, but it was like retreats. It was more like, because I was going to a lot of conferences. Yeah, a lot of people were, but now I feel like it's hotter than ever. Now, like, people are like, craving it more than ever. Yes. So physical. if you have a following, hey, I mean, like someone like JP, 
I could basically put a retreat together to, with for him that would blow his audience's mind, where he just like shows up as the star. Yeah, I mean, I had eleven years of doing this, and I got some. We got a lot of connections to awesome you places. Were, you were buddies with who? Who was helping you? My brothers, the, mostly. Okay, so your brothers and you were the yeah. ones doing that for seven years, and then I kind of started spearheading it myself as they did different things. Mm. Um, but I think that's a great industry. If you mm -hmm. have like a, if you could make knives, if you know how to harvest animals, I feel like the permaculture and like uh, self reliance. You know how to shoot guns. Yeah. If like go run a retreat on whatever you want, two yes. to three nights or one day. Um, that's a fun thing to do. Yeah, teaching people in, a, in an isolated environment. We talked a new. lot about learning today, but and we the best way of learning is teaching. Mm -hmm. That's also true. Yep. And uh, if you have a skill that you're proud of that can offer inspiration and value to other people, people will probably travel to your retreat. Yeah, people need <laughs> to recognize that mastery is a is a journey. It's not a destination. You know, people are you can become masterful already as you are. Yeah, and I, there's something about experiential learning and learning in groups and that tribal setting and um, removing your normal environment. It's a powerful process. So JP and I did a lot of that together. There's a fun YouTube video. I, I think it's out there. If we told the – what was the other video uh, that we told people to look up? Dead Doctors Don't Lie. Dead Doctors Don't Lie, yeah. There's one. I think it's called JP – anger management screen therapy uh -huh. uh, we did the, this beach in Kauai. that'd be a fun for anyone that's a fan of jp mm -hmm. that'd be a fun way to see him in a different light and that like that that uh you you can see the people were learning a lot through their bodies in that four minute youtube video yeah okay cool i'll look that up i think it's called screen therapy anger management anywho dylan thank you man uh, one more time matrixbreakers.com yep do you have – I saw there you had your thing on. Does anybody have any questions there? Do you want to check that I or not? I don't know. Because we'll I'm happy see. to uh, field those real quickly. Is Just that people love Costa Rica. Yes, I that's where, where we did most of our retreats, Costa Rica and Hawaii. Guys cutting the grass. So yeah, I know. What in the world? I know. I wonder. I trust the audio wasn't too rough for y'all and or the uh, Casey the editor can do some magic when the leaf blower showed up under my stairwell. People saying you're funny. Do we like pets? I love pets. I got two pit bulls in, in the do you house. Like, do you take them on your Uber rides? I do. I used to during the pandemic thing. They said that you can't have passengers in your front seat. So I rode around with my uh, two pit bulls in the front seat. Okay. Where are you? We're in Boulder, Colorado. Boulder, baby. Yep. That's it. Okay, man. Yeah. Well, thank you all. Keep breaking normal. You good? Yes, sir. All right. To be continued.